Hi, I'm Tom Luna. I'm a former school board member. I was privileged to serve as senior advisor to U.S. Secretary of Education, Rod Page. I also had the honor of serving for eight years as Idaho State Superintendent of Public Instruction. During that time, I also served as president of the Council of Chief State School Officers. One thing I have learned in all these experiences is that educating children is not rocket science, it's more complicated. On my podcast, Swimming Upstream, we will visit with courageous leaders who challenge the prevailing tide and inspire all of us to swim against the current. Let's jump in. Welcome to another episode of Swimming Upstream, and today we're at the Excellent Ed Conference. We've interviewed a number of leaders across the country that are talking about the great things happening in their state uh, to move education forward, and oftentimes that requires swimming against the current to make this uh, to make these great things happen for our kids. I have a really good friend, Kirsten Baszler, who is here joining us from North Dakota. Mm-hmm. You've been the state superintendent there for how long? Ten years. And you, you're, it's an elected position. It's an elected position. First elected 2012, re-elected again in 2016, and then 2020 during COVID. And we, campaign. And we've we've uh, interviewed some state chiefs that are appointed, others mm-hmm. that are elected. Most of them are appointed across the country, but there's a dozen states, mm-hmm. and North Dakota is one of them that it elects is. their state superintendent. I prefer that. I mean, a campaign, running a campaign while running an agency is never fun, but um, I prefer the route of election. I believe it allows the state superintendent to really put education first and keep the main thing the main thing. And while I've had great relationships with uh, all of my governors that I've served with. Um, first served with Governor Dalrymple and now I'm serving with Doug, Governor Doug Burgum. Great relationships. We were on the same page and that is tremendously helpful when you can work with your legislature and your executive branch of your governor. But you know there are times where education is is not the, the, the priority in a certain situation or in a legislative session. And the governor has to do other things. And in and, and compromising and, and, and governing, you have to sometimes give chips up in order yeah. to get things. I don't ever have to do that. And I don't have to, I don't have to make sure that I'm giving up the chips of K-12 education uh, in order to get something else done. And I think the governor appreciates that. He, the two that I've served with have appreciated that I can keep the main thing the main thing and he can do what he needs to do. I, I think a while ago I was visiting with your governor at a Western Governors Association meeting, and he mentioned that he did the first fund fundraiser for you ever when you decided that you wanted to run. I thought that's the relationship you want to have yes, with a governor. Yes, it truly, truly right? is. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad he mentioned that too. It was quite an honor. He is a, he is an entrepreneur. He is a successful businessman that brought, you know, business, technology business into the state of North Dakota. And he realized how important education was. And so we had had a superintendent that had been elected for a number of years. He had served for over two decades, actually. And our governor was, is all about innovation and all about making sure that we have 21st century schools for our students students and preparing them for their future. And so as a businessman, he held a fundraiser for me and did a video. He's, as I said, a tech person. He went in the in <laughs> a, a studio and, and made a video for me that went all over the internet. And so that was very helpful yeah. and such an honor to serve with him. Fast forward um, four years, I went to him and said, hey, you got me into this. You want to come to the Capitol and help me out? And so we had that conversation too. So um, well, as he was in his The rest of the story. Yeah. 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 Fascinating. So I... Uh, Watching you in in office, um, you didn't run to be state superintendent to just maintain the status quo. So let's talk about swimming upstream and uh, against the status quo and and, and those types of things. And you've accomplished a lot of great things in uh, North Dakota. Let's talk about a couple of those. Sure. Um, I'd love to. So 
prior to being the state superintendent, I was obviously a classroom teacher, had been a building principal, worked in the district level leadership, and was the president of a school district right across from the district, right across the river from the district where I was employed. So I served on that board for nine years and was president of that board for seven years. So through all of those roles, and in addition to being a parent of three amazing young men now, they were three young boys at the time, but... There were things in all of those roles that I knew. I saw my school board colleagues, my teaching colleagues, my building principal colleagues, everybody, my, my family and friends, all wanting our public schools to do things differently and really have some sort of autonomy and flexibility to be creative, to meet the needs of individual students. And so it was late one night. Um, when I was at the Capitol, first month, and I thought, you know, I'm in this, I'm in this gig for four years. Don't know if I'll get reelected. Right. But what do I want to accomplish? I don't. I want to move the ball down the field. I don't want to just rip up the turf while I'm here. And so I wrote down three things that I wanted to accomplish, and that was to provide creativity, flexibility, and autonomy in our schools through policy, to invest more in early childhood education, and to really close the gap for our students that are Native American students and our students living in poverty. And so those were my three the, my three big audacious goals, as they say. Yeah. And that's what we've set about working to do. You know, through that, you have, those are the goals, but you have a lot of inputs that have, that need to contribute to that. Computer science, career and technical education, the accountability. And it's different. You can, as a building leader, you can actually make curriculum choices. You can make schedule changes. So your levers are different at the state. So how do you incentivize? Right, how do you create right. opportunity? Yeah. And how do you create, you know, expectations of accountability? And so, you know, some, some big plays were creating a new accountability, accountability system of choice ready, investing, uh, partnering with our health and human services agency, and, and just really working with our legislature and our governor to get those things done. Le Let's talk specifically about a couple of those. When you talk about innovation, um, you, you used the opportunity, if you want to call it opportunity, of schools being disrupted, you know, overnight, really. Yes. And, uh, but by tapping into ingenuity and creativity and give, giving schools and districts license to do those things, mm -hmm. talk to us about how you uh, took advantage of that and the results. So we were, we were fortunate that because 2015 legislative session, we had passed Senate Bill 2186 that essentially allowed the state superintendent to waive any piece of statute in the chapter of K-12 education. The, the bill originally said that I would have the authority to waive any state law. And <laughs> I thought, huh, I might think about the speed limit. Yeah, there you and go. So, but they, they did limit it down Maybe to the- reduce taxes here exactly, and there and whatever. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Um, but they, they gave the opportunity, which allowed our school districts to say, you know, this is standing in the way. Of, of what I want to do for, for my kids in my building, my kids in my district. We had a, some schools, we had six schools that really took that and they were, they were doing things quite differently. The students in those schools really actually thrived. What were some of the things the a couple of those schools specifically did? Student agency. They got rid of the bell system. We have created a continuum of learning. So we, I believe, are the first state in the nation that doesn't force their school districts to back map personalized learning into a Carnegie unit credit. And so we've identified a learning continuum, and so it's a it's a way to. Is it a mastery based type of an approach? It's a mastery based. So it's approach. not necessarily seat time versus mastery. It's seat time versus mastery, and so these kids were just pretty fluid in where they were at in their learning journey, and so being fluid in the brick and mortar building allowed them to be fluid in their in their virtual learning as well. And so mastery transcript is what we are using to measure that. Our our universities have gotten on board, accepting all sorts of different looking transcripts 
transcripts. That's a, that's a huge uh, uh, accomplishment because a lot of conversations around the country about mastery based and awarding credits based on work experience and stuff like that. Universities have to accept those yes. or parents are going to say, I really like what you're talking about, but yes. my child needs to get into college. And so I need you to do it the old fashioned way. Exactly. And to have that assurance from our university system and our, our private colleges in North Dakota as well, and even some across the river in Minnesota, um, we've worked with them and we have passed the learn everywhere bill. So essentially if, if a law is standing in the way for our local school district, they can come to me and say, we need to do this differently. And they provide the, the evidence that they'll provide me that it's going to be better for students. We can do that, but Learn Everywhere, which is our kids were getting are getting credit for work internships, for um, Boy Scout and Eagle Scout projects and all wow. sorts of things. Because learning does occur everywhere and it's not just in the, you know, Monday through Friday, eight to four in a school building. And so we're recognizing all of that and the transcripts are being recognized by our university systems. So um, lots of opportunity. And those students that were actually able to take ownership and some students, I was at Northern Cass School in, in North Dakota, it's, it's a school literally in the middle of a cornfield. Like there are cornfields <laughs> all the way around and they serve six or seven different communities in that eastern part of our state. And I visited with a girl just about a, two weeks ago and she was a senior and the, the, the policy or the, the culture of Northern Cass School is that your transcript isn't final until you walk across the stage on graduation day. So up till that Saturday before graduation, if you want to go back and redo something, you can. She real she'd been going through some things her 10th grade year and she realized she hadn't mastered geometry. She had done enough, but she hadn't wow. mastered geometry the way that she wanted to master geometry. So she's going back and, and redoing so some that of go, her that plays right into taking ownership of your own education. Exactly. She recognized that need yes. and, and the opportunity was yes. there for her. To, yeah. to address it. Yes, but it's a scary thing. You know, when you swim upstream, those leaders, those building leaders, the state has, you know, obviously played a, a role. We've had to be courageous and say, we are going to trust our lo local leaders to create student agency in this way. We created a portrait of a graduate. We've set the expectations and we have to trust our local school leaders. But our local school leaders have to be very courageous as well and swim upstream because it, it gets a little hard for some, for parents, especially that have been successful in the traditional school, to see that their children are experiencing school differently. Yeah. And so not only is a school leader working with their board for a different way of funding, different pri you know prioritizing different different mechanisms in their local school budget they're needing to communicate with parents that say yeah i kind of see that this is a good thing but boy what about when they want to go to harvard or what if yeah, they want to go yeah. to notre dame and to to be able to have that constant community backing is 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 swimming upstream well, one too. of the things that did surprise me still surprises me a bit is most people want education to uh to do better but if it doesn't look exactly like it was when they went to school 20, 30 years ago, then they get nervous, you know? And, and so you, you have, yeah, yeah. We saw that, especially with these leaders that came out early um, and started this. Initially, the community was like, yes, our, I can see my children or my grandchildren need something different for this century. But then when it actually, the you know, it, the, it started, it became real when they were not bringing homework home, not yeah. having a bell schedule that they needed to be at. So they... Again, that's where the leadership really matters and to be courageous and bring your community along with you. Let's talk talk real quick about your work in early literacy because I know that was yeah. very important to you. And you did some uh, great things with like Waterford yes. and stuff like that. So talk to us yes. about your focus on early literacy and the and 
that's been a big focus of the conference here. Yes. Right. We just left a session. Amazing, amazing. conversation about the importance of kids reading and what we can do better if we focus on the science of reading. The science of reading. So we were successful in passing some legislation that we require the science of reading. We haven't gone, gone so far to prohibit um, the three queuing, but I think the point was made that we need to make sure that it's implemented. Banning something isn't always the answer, implementation and training. But the investment in early learning and early literacy in zero to five is critical. Um, Waterford was amazing for us because like many states, we have rural isolated schools. I have some. I have 129 school districts that are 100 miles away from a nearest McDonald's yeah. or, or Starbucks. And wow. so there's not a real big uh, supply of, of Montessori schools or even preschools. And so how do we engage the families? And that's what I really liked about Waterford and Upstart as well is because it was a family yeah, it really engages the parents and, in the home. And the parents know what to look for. And yeah. the parents know what language is academic language to use with their child, which is just creating that, that bridge and that trust between home and school, which is essential. You, unless, we, you know, unless we do this with our families and bridge, strengthen that bridge between school and home, we're going to be swimming upstream forever. And we don't want to do that. That's tiring. Well, Kirsten, you mentioned that you were elected 10 years ago. So I'm going to share a quick story. I was, uh, I was in office at that time. I was attending a CCSSO meeting, which you're now the president of CCSSO. Yes. And for people to understand, that's kind of the National Governors Association, but for the that's 50 the, state chiefs, that's right? That's I describe it as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so we're at this meeting, and you were a brand new state chief. And we were in a session, and we'd gone through a couple, three sessions, and they said, any questions? And you stood up and said, you know, I've been here for a good part of a day, and I haven't heard one person talk about a child. <laughs> you said, I've heard you talk about this, this, and this, but when are we going to talk about children? And I think you've, uh, you've kept that commitment and that focus the 10 years you've been in office. Yeah, thank and you, you. kind of opened up all of our eyes like, you know, she's new, but I, she's right. We can get caught in the weeds and we're talking about things. And when are we going to talk about children? Thank you. Um, I, two weeks ago, I took over as the president of CCSSO. And as you know, they give you an opportunity to address um, the membership and on the last day of that annual fall conference. And so I did, and people asked me, you know, as I was president-elect, it's like, what will your platform be? What will your platform be? And so I shared in my address to CCSSO membership that day, my platform is students. There you go. My platform is students, in service to students, and keeping them the main thing. And a lot of other things that we need to talk about are important, but those are inputs, and our, our, we have to keep the main thing the main thing, which is student outcomes. Thanks for your leadership. Thanks Thank you. for your inspiring words. And folks, we've been visiting with Kirsten Baszler, who is the State Superintendent of Public Instruction for the state of North Dakota, yes. President of CCSSO, accomplishing great things, and swimming upstream and against the current to do what's best for children. We'll be back in it with another episode. Thank you for listening. And remember, our children may only be 22% of our population, but they represent 100% of our future. If you found this conversation valuable, subscribe to our YouTube channel and find us on your favorite podcast platform. Swimming Upstream is part of the Stratagos Podcast Network. To view the entire lineup of our shows, visit our website, stratagosgroup.com.